You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed." Every Jew grew up knowing that this passage was speaking about the Messiah. All throughout the Bible, there are prophecies regarding the first and second coming of the Messiah. Today, Pastor Dave will be teaching you how Jesus has fulfilled all the prophecies relating to his first coming, and that nothing else needs to be fulfilled in order for his second coming. Are you prepared to see him face to face? Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 12, as he begins his message, Who is this Son of Man? Let me begin with a story. I like to tell stories. In the late 1700s, the manager of a Baltimore's largest hotel refused lodging to a man who was dressed like a farmer because he thought the fellow's appearance would discredit his inn. So the man left. Later that evening, the innkeeper discovered that he had turned away none other than the vice president of the United States, the writer of the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson. Immediately when he found out, he sent a note to the vice president asking him to come back and to be his guest. Jefferson replied by instructing his messenger as follows, quote, tell him I've already engaged a room. I value his good intentions highly, but... If he has no place for a dirty American farmer, he has none for the president, the vice president of the United States. That hotel manager hadn't realized that it was Thomas Jefferson who wanted lodging. He turned away the vice president of the United States because he didn't know whom he was looking at. He didn't know whom he was addressing. The same is true of our verse this morning. The exact same thing is happening in our verse this morning. These Jews who were assembled around Jesus did not know who they were looking at, and they did not know who it was that was speaking to them. They were confused when Jesus told them that he must be lifted up from the earth. They were confused by the title, Son of Man. Back in verse 23 of chapter 12, Jesus had called himself the Son of Man. And they knew that he was speaking about their Messiah. And now Jesus again referring to himself as saying, the Son of Man must be lifted up on a cross and die. And we know he was speaking about his crucifixion because in verse 33, John himself clarifies it and says that Jesus was talking about what way he would die. John clarifies the statement for us. But they were confused. Listen to what it says in verse 34a. The people answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever, and now you say the Son of Man must be lifted up. 
Their law had told them that Christ, which is another word for Messiah, it means anointed one, would live forever. The majority of people that Jesus was speaking to were all too familiar with the term and title Son of Man. Why? Because it's a messianic title. It is a messianic title. And in Daniel, specifically in Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, the prophet Daniel writes this. He has a vision. He has a vision and he writes this. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed." Every Jew grew up knowing that this passage was speaking about the Messiah. Every Jew knew that this was a foreknowledge, a, a prophecy of the Messiah that would come. He would be a ruler, according to what Micah says. He would be a king. He would have his own kingdom, and there would be no end to this kingdom. He would have all dominion. His throne would be eternal, as I said. There were other prophecies that said he would sit on the throne of David forever. The Jews have been waiting for their Messiah hundreds and hundreds of years. Sadly, they still are. Sadly, they still are waiting for their Messiah. And this is why they will be hoodwinked when a man comes who settles the peace, and we know him as the Antichrist. But the problem was, according to the prophecies, the Jews did not see the Messiah as being crucified. No, their Messiah, according to the prophecies, would be a victor. He would be a conqueror, and he would live forever. So how can the Son of Man be lifted up on a cross and die if he will reign forever? And how can Jesus then be the Son of Man? So they ask a very, very logical question to them in 34b. Who is this Son of Man? Who is he? They wanted to know. What's interesting is the Son of Man was Jesus' favorite way to describe himself. In fact, in the four gospel, Jesus describes himself this way no less than 80 times. No less than 80 times does Jesus say something about the Son of Man. Of all his titles, Son of God, Lamb of God, Lord, Master, Teacher, Rabbi, Friend, and all the rest, he seems to prefer this title when he's speaking about himself. Remember, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He substituted the Son of Man for the pronoun I. How about the time he asked his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? A beautiful, beautiful profession of Peter. Here he's using the actual words to describe himself, the Son of Man. He also spoke of the Son of Man coming in the glory of the Father, the Son of Man who came to seek and save that which was lost. He speaks specifically about suffering in Mark 8, 33, telling that the Son of Man will suffer at the hands of the Pharisees, hands of the priests. And he also uses the title when he speaks about authority in Mark 2, 10. Why this title? Why did Jesus choose this title to associate with? Well, one of the great aspects of titles 
is there's a revelation that you get about a person that you might not have otherwise known. I meet people all the time who I knew back in the day. And I'm talking to them, and they've, all of a sudden we get to the thing, well, you're retired from teaching. Yeah, I am. Well, what are you doing now? Well, the Lord has me pastoring a church. What? No way. Way. They only know Dave. They don't know Pastor Dave. They don't know what the Lord has called me to do because we've lost contact, we've lost touch, so they only know me as one thing. And I usually get this strange look because they don't understand how this could possibly happen. If you knew my background, you probably would be scratching your head too. But titles tell us a lot about a person when they are properly understood. And the problem is that those who were assembled did not understand who Jesus was. Just like the Baltimore innkeeper didn't understand or know who the vice president was, who was standing before them. Here Jesus, the son of man, is standing before these guys, declaring who he is, and they don't realize it. And they're confused because they didn't properly understand. So what did Jesus mean when he called himself the son of man? Why this title? It, it was fascinating me, and that's why I couldn't get past one verse. We read through the Bible the exact meaning of the, of, the, of the Son of Man. You can't find it. It's not there. But most scholars agree that it probably refers to the fact that Jesus was perfectly human. He was perfectly human. We know that he was God who came down and lived among us. He was a perfect being. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. We, we know that and we realize that. But they couldn't grasp that. A few weeks ago, we celebrated his incarnation, his very coming to earth. We celebrate that. We call it Christmas. But he came to identify with us. He came in human form so that he could identify with each one of us. He came as a man who can identify with your sorrow. He came as a man who can identify with your pain. He came as a man who can identify with your hurt. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He, he knows what it's like to be betrayed by your best friend. He, he knows the feelings of being humiliated. He knows the feeling of being spat upon. He knows the feelings of being despised and rejected. He knows these feelings. And as a man, he knows the limits of the earthly body. He knows that there's only so many things we can do in this earthly body because we're limited by our body. We're limited that way. So he knows that. He can identify with our physical condition. He can identify with exhaustion. He knows what it's like when we're tired and we just don't want to do something. And he can identify with temptation because he was tempted no less than three times in the wilderness. But most importantly... He can identify what it's like to be separated from God because of sin. Because on the cross, he was separated from God. He was separated from God. But through his life, he fulfilled the law of Moses and did what no other human was able to do. He led a sinless life. Jesus led a sinless life in his humanity. And by using this title, he identified with the people that he came to save. I've come to save that which is lost. If one thing is true, when Jesus walked the earth, not one person who saw him had any problem with his humanity. Not one person didn't realize that he was human. Also, 
When Jesus uses the title of the Son of Man, it was truly his title. Hence, the answer to the question, who do you say I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ means Messiah, the anointed one, which is what the Son of Man denotes. Only Jesus could say that he was the Son of Man. Now, I know those of you who are scholars can point me out that Ezekiel was called Son of Man probably more than Jesus was. But Ezekiel was not the Messiah. And there were others who were called Son of Man throughout the Old Testament. But the Son of Man being lifted up on a cross and dying did not compute in the minds of the Jews. It did not compute according to their law. Did they forget about the other prophecies? Did they forget about Isaiah 53? That he would be despised and rejected by man? He would be a man of sorrows? He would be acquainted with grief? He would be numbered with transgressors in his death, and they would make room for him in the grave of the rich. Joseph of Arimathea was very rich, and he was buried in a rich man's grave. What about Psalm 22, which was written by David himself? It talks specifically about the crucifixion. In fact, it uses the very words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Did they not realize this? When they read about the conquering Messiah, they lost folks of the suffering Messiah. Why was this so repulsive to them? Why were they so determined to reject Jesus Christ? I give you one word. One word only. C-R-O-S-S. Cross. One word. This has been a problem for the Jews for ages because even Paul said... He wants to do nothing but preach Christ crucified. But it was to the Jews a stumbling block. Christ crucified was a stumbling block. Why? Why? Because of the Jewish history, the source, the cross was not just a source of pain. It was not just a source of death or if it doesn't offensive. It was a constant reminder of their failure. The Jews to the cross to the for the cross, the Jews reminded them that they were not free. The cross was a symbol of their failure. It reminded them of their captivity by the Roman Empire. It invoked a sense of fear in them because not only were the Roman governors crucifying those who were guilty, they were crucifying those who were associated with the guilty party. They were crucifying mass people all over the place. There are few things as offensive and scandalous to the Jew as the implication of a cross. They had been persecuted, they'd been tortured, they'd been killed through this sadistic object. Yet even in their suffering, they could not find joy. Because the nature of the cross, there was no silver lining for them. There was no redeemable value. Because their crucifixions happened so much, it was so frequent, it was nothing to walk out of your door and walk down the Appian Way and see miles and miles and miles of crucifixion hanging there, dying. It was a symbol of pain and suffering. It wasn't a symbol of pride and martyrdom. But in addition to all the suffering and humiliation that the cross caused, it made it worse because there was a religious obstacle created by the cross to the Jews. The Jews could not even turn to the cross into a symbol of suffering because to them to be put to death on the cross was not just scandalous. It was not just shameful. It was not just humiliating, it was not just a fainful, it was just not a remnant of failure, 
It was a sign that they were cursed. It was a sign that we cursed. Deuteronomy 21. In Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23, we read, Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. It's God's law. Anybody who's hung on a tree is cursed. To the crucified, the Jewish way of thinking was, it's a curse. You don't celebrate a curse. It's not something that can be accepted. This means that all those who loved Israel so much to fight for her freedom and loss are not just shamed, they're being cursed. It's as if they're being cursed by the very God who they were fighting for. Now you get a picture as why it was so offensive to the Jews? Or be getting a picture as to why the Jews felt that it was so an offense to them? Romans found great use for the cross. The Jews found none. It was terrible and offensive. Nothing was so scandalous as death on a cross. The cross is so much more than what we think it is. To us, and we'll get to it in a little bit, it means freedom from the slavery of sin. We wear it around our necks. We have it in our churches. We, we even have it in our homes. We, we have it everywhere. It's become a symbol of freedom, a symbol of forgiveness, a symbol of love, of, a symbol of glory. To us, it's a magnificent thing if we look at it, what it is. In fact, we come and we have all our burdens on our hand and we come to the foot of the cross and we lay them down. Jewish people couldn't accept it as a symbol of persecution. They weren't going to accept the Messiah who was crucified. They weren't going to accept the Messiah who was cursed. The cross was a stumbling block. They expected the Messiah to bring them freedom, joy, independence, and unity. They expected the Messiah to bring glory back to the Jewish people. The man who had crucified under no circumstances would be their Messiah. It could not happen. The cross offends every sense of a Jewish man. The cross cannot do that for them. It's an oxymoron. Why? Messiah means God anointed. How can God's anointed be cursed by God? It doesn't match Jewish thinking. It didn't match their law. It's a paradox. The very fact that Jesus was crucified means that whatever revolution he might have brought had already failed. It already was over, according to the Jew. Don't you see how difficult now it is for the Jew to accept the crucifixion? Does it make it more clear that they can't accept this because it goes against their very law? You see how incomplete sometimes our view of the cross is? So they were confused. Who is the son of man, they asked. But they didn't ask this to be taught. They were taunting. They didn't ask it in a pleasant way. They were taunting. They were insulting. They thought that they had him baffled. They thought that they had him run down. You say the Son of Man must die. Well, we proved the Messiah must not die. Then how can you be the Messiah? You call yourself the Son of Man? You can't be the Messiah because you say you're going to die. You know what happened? They fell into the religious box and they couldn't get out. The religious box just got closer and closer and closer on tide of them. But we see the cross differently. We look at the cross and we see it differently. Without the cross, we have no hope. Without the cross, we're stuck in our sins, unforgiven by God and awaiting his judgment. Without the cross, there is no Christianity. There is no Christianity without the cross. Sadly, 
Christianity today in our modern culture, they've attempted to take away all the violence and the blood and the brutality out of the cross. We live in a more, what you would call, a feely good Christianity. People don't want to be made feel uncomfortable. Their religion should always make them feel good about themselves and their lives. Don't make me feel uncomfortable. Don't talk about a blood-stained cross. Don't talk about death and someone dying for me. While living a, faith, a life of faith, it should bring a certain amount of, of comfort and security. The Christian message of salvation of humanity has nothing to do with feelings or comfortableness. The core of the Christian message is that salvation and eternal happiness came from a selfless, sacrificial love on a cross. And that's the crux of Christianity. Feel good Christianity focuses on the appealing parts of the Christian story and the good feelings that believers receive from worshiping God. And there's nothing wrong with them. They are good to have. But dare we leave out the most crucial point of Christianity? Dare we leave out the most important point of Christianity? The one reason Jesus came to earth? Dare we leave that out? Sin, hell, cross doesn't fit nicely into our Philly good Christianity. Doesn't play well, let alone a bloody cross doesn't go well with a cute little bunny jumping around on Easter morning. Doesn't play well. Christianity without the cross is not true Christianity. Without the cross, the resurrection is impossible. Did you hear what I said? Without the cross, the resurrection is impossible. Jesus had to go to the cross to make reparation for our sins. And further, in this act that he freely chose to do that, if you remove the cross from the Christian message, you would have unthinkable that the apostles, and should be just unthinkable for the Christian today, the apostles wouldn't do it, why should we? If Paul says, I will preach nothing but Christ crucified, why would we preach anything different? Why would I stand before you and give you a feel-good philosophy or a feel-good thing only to have you go out and stumble and fall because we didn't treat, preach the true message. To the Jews and many people today who call themselves Christians, the cross is a stumbling block. It still is today. So there seems to be a dilemma. There is a dilemma with the Jews. You can't be the son of man. Son of man means Messiah, means you'll live forever. You can't be the son of man if you're going to go to a cross and die. Our Messiah won't die. He will live forever. Our Messiah is a conqueror. He is strong and mighty. We have a dilemma here. Why? Because they don't understand the title. They don't understand the title. They don't understand who really Jesus is. So how do we solve the dilemma? How can the dilemma be solved? Well, the Bible solves it perfectly. The Bible solves it perfectly when you understand the two comings of the Messiah. You are a sure.
The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as I Am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit assurehoperadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at assurehoperadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.